Hi, it's Mark Stenson. I'd like to tell you about a new sponsor who's unlocking creativity in a unique way. It's an app called Headphone. That's H-E-A-D-F-O-N-E. On Headphone, you can listen to premium audio dramas like romance, thriller, and horror. I was just listening to a romance called That Night when business tycoon Gerald Cooper crosses paths with Lucy and Gerald's world is about to shift in ways he couldn't imagine. Right now, Headphone is offering listeners a 10% discount when you use this code to subscribe. Mark Creativity 10. So go to headphone.page.link slash markcreativity10. I'll put that link in the show notes. And thanks again to the folks at Headphone for their support of the podcast. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Well, welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And we travel around the globe talking to creative practitioners about how they get inspired and how they organize ideas and, most of all, how they gain the confidence and the connections to launch their work. And today we're stamping our creative passport in beautiful Miami, where we're going to talk to our guest, Paulina Pompliano. Paulina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's an honor to be here. Thanks. Paulina is the author of a terrific new book called Hidden Genius. And it's really a collection of stories and understanding how the world's smart people and exceptional people think. We often think, Paulina, that, boy, aren't these people creative? They're so smart. And yet you've really lifted the hood and demystified some of these things that we don't just hold them up and be fascinated by them, but we could actually learn from them. Tell us a little bit how you approached looking at their way of thinking. Yeah. So as you might see in the book, every single chapter is a different theme. And one of those themes is creativity. But with each of them, I wanted to take away the fluff and only leave the practical takeaways that you can actually implement in your own life. Because I think we have enough books that pontificate about why creativity is amazing and great and everybody should be doing it. And then you're left with the question, okay, but like how? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to answer that how. And I think with each chapter, if you notice, there's a thread throughout the book that whether I'm talking about creativity or relationships, what I've noticed about these people that are exceptional at these things is that they've taken that idea and learned that it's a skill. It's not just a muse or a moment of inspiration that comes to you. Even love is a skill. Even creativity is a skill. These things that we think often are very mushy and hard to define, actually with enough practice and enough discipline, you too can master these things because they are a skill. Yes. The term mental frameworks stood out to me that there's lots of hacks and there's lots of tricks. Mm -hmm. And here's something you can do, break it down into seven parts. But you really looked at the frameworks of the approach to thinking, not just maybe their, you know, four point process. Yes. And Mark, if I see another 
man in a cold plunge on Twitter <laughs> saying how he gets up at 4 a.m. and dives into the cold plunge. Like that is a hack to me. That may work for some people, but it's something like practical, yes, that you can do on a daily basis. But what is it actually getting you? And if you're not, if it doesn't stick with you, you're not going to keep doing it. The reason I'm attracted to mental frameworks is because it's a way of looking at the world and it's something that you can apply in various areas of your life. Like one of them is an example being for creative people, a lot of them look at the world through a specific lens. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. They're looking at the world through this lens and that's how they can generate fresh ideas. So for example, if you're a chef, you work in the world of food and dining, but that doesn't stop you when you're at a museum to look at that museum through, one chef calls it a kaleidoscope of food. You look at it through a very specific lens and it's distorted, but you're getting ideas from this museum that you can then implement in the dining experience. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned being actionable. Again, I think there's many inspirational books and we get motivated by them and we say, hey, we should be more creative. <laughs> Yeah. But give us an example of a couple of those aha moments where you said, oh, this is a mental framework. This is not simply get out there and be more creative. What mm -hmm. were a couple of examples of that for you when you were, uh, were studying these thinkers? Yeah. Okay. For example, the practical one that I just mentioned is Chef Grant Atkins, who created this restaurant called Alinea. He very much talks about connecting the unconnected and getting ideas in unconventional places. So when he's walking around a museum, he'll see a, a piece of art and be like, I want to eat off of that. Why can't that big scale, large scale painting be a tablecloth? And then he replicates it in the dining experience. For me, I took that in a practical way, implemented in my own life. I was like, I study people. I read a lot of profiles behind every single thing in this world, there is a human being. And I wonder what their story is. For example, when I was on a walk during the pandemic, I was in New York City and I was walking down the block and I kept looking and every single business was shut. And I was like, huh, I wonder what the humans behind these businesses are feeling. And then I called a bunch of them and that turned into a series of articles that I wrote. So it's, that's one very practical example that you can implement in your life. Another one is connecting the unconnected. This is a concept that like Da Vinci was using all the way to today, the creatives of today, but it's the whole idea that research supports that people who can take two very disparate, two very different concepts and find relationships between them are, are creative people. And you can enhance and encourage creativity that way. What da Vinci used to do is he, it is rumored that he would throw sponges with paint against the wall and wait for them to drip down and then find ideas and inspiration in whatever shapes he saw on the wall. So, you know, it's unconnected concepts. And, and for you to think about as a creative person, or if you want to augment your creativity, find two different concepts that you're like, there's no way these could be linked. And just look at them for a good amount of time and your brain will just naturally start to create connections there. And it develops, you, you start to, to see certain things maybe you wouldn't have before. And also your brain works in the background to do that. Shonda Rhimes talks about, it's called a creative incubation. She's, I, I start with two totally different things. I go on a walk, I leave it alone. I come back 
And in that period of time, my mind underwent creative incubation process. And then I have all these new ideas. And I think about Adam Alter uh, at NYU told me the same kind of two disparate ideas, but it was an unstuck method for him. I, I was so busy trying to come up with an original idea yes. that I missed that the combination of these two otherwise unconnected things would be a new idea. So there was a bit yeah. of an aha moment even in that. Yeah. And, and uh, actually, you'll notice a lot of um, really creative people talk about, and this is supported by research as well, talk about that they get their best ideas while in the shower, for example, or mm -hmm. while on a run. And it's like, why does that happen? It's because the rote activity allows your brain to wander and, and that solidifies some ideas. So actually a lot of road activities like running, showering, shaving, driving can actually promote ideas, which sounds counterintuitive. Because that other side of your brain is just mindless, so to speak, yes. and allows the other ideas. That's a good side of the research. I don't know if I knew that well. And yeah. was there anything that you said Wow, that's a crazy notion <laughs> that when you saw a mental framework and you said, I, that sounds a little wacky or that I don't know if I could use that myself, or I wondered if that yeah. would really work. Did there anything come to you in your yeah. research on that? The, there is one that I think about often. It's Ed Catmull, who's the co-founder of Pixar. Mm -hmm. He talks about this idea that you should aim to fail the elevator test. The elevator test being when you're riding in the elevator with somebody higher up, you should be able to tell them your idea in 30 seconds or less. As somebody who was, I was a journalist all my life, I, specifically in startups and business, the thing that was drilled into my brain is you got to be succinct, you got to be precise to the point, and you have to be able to explain things in 30 seconds or less. Otherwise, the idea doesn't make sense when investors are evaluating startup ideas. That's what they look for. They don't want something that's super complicated and it takes a while to explain. So that was a really interesting one that I had to do more research on because I was like, but if you can't explain it, then the average person won't get it. And then what I learned that what he was actually saying is that if you're able to explain your idea in 30 seconds or less, that means that it's actually derivative of an idea that's already been done. Mm -hmm. And it's not that original. When you're talking about something truly original, it's messy, it's complicated, it's hard to explain. He's like, when we were talking about at Pixar Toy Story, if you were to explain that in 30 seconds or less, people would take away like, oh my God, that's going to be horrible and like very commercial, things like that. And he's, or Ratatouille, a rat in a kitchen that can cook. Like that How's sounds that disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that all those things um, actually inspire. He, he looks for the ones that have a really big potential to fail because those are the ones that are truly original that have a higher, more of an upside to succeed than something that's already been done. Um, that's why he finds like the big juicy failures really interesting. And then if something works, he said that they have a rule of Pixar, where it's like, you can't do it again. You can't mm -hmm. just replicate the process again. And that's almost to fight complacency, which I found that Grant Ackett's The Chef also does. He makes his team blow up the menu every six months, no matter how amazing and popular it's been. But yet the attraction to comparison, like mm -hmm. you said, you're doing a pitch 
And you're like, you want to be the Uber of something. Now it's Jaws meets Finding Nemo. Yeah, you're trying <laughs> to find these like analogies or somehow these hooks to these pitches. And again, you've written a lot on startups and business. Uh, you think about the familiarity is what sometimes creative people are gravitate to, to make these pitches. How did these original, exceptional thinkers break out of that mold? Okay, so it, it's really interesting. I think that a lot of people think they're original. I thought I was very original <laughs> until I started studying some of these people. And I think the truly original people, they know that this is the nuance. They know what the rules are. They're aware of the rules, but it's not that they're just like breaking rules to break rules. Their aim is to invent new rules. Like they're like, oh, okay, I see what the rules are. I'm not just going to break them for the sake of breaking them. I'm only going to break them if it A, makes sense, but B, my ultimate goal is to invent new rules. They say, uh, Tim Urban, who's a blogger, he wrote this um, long series on Elon Musk. And he talked about how he's, so, people have such a visceral reaction to him because he, goes after these industries where the incumbents have been the incumbents for a very mm -hmm. long time. And he talks about that, like original thinkers and really truly independent thinkers, they invent the recipe and everybody else just follows the recipe. And even if let's say I have a space startup, I'm pretty much going to follow what's already been done before a rocket launches this way, whatever. Elon Musk came in and was like, wait, but why can't we have a reusable rocket? And people were like, what are you talking about? That's not even a thing. <laughs> so it's almost like if you could be creative, but still be a cook and follow the recipe that somebody else has invented, but the truly ambitious original thinkers and creators, they invent the recipe for other people to follow. Very good. Paulina, I wondered if I could put you on the spot. I don't know if you have a copy yeah. of your book handy, but I would love for you to read a little passage. Do you have one handy? I have one on my oh, computer. You're <laughs> awesome. You're awesome. Yes. Do you have a this, preference for which one? No, I would say something that gives us a sense of your <laughs> sort of tone and style and voice in writing. Yeah. I think as a creative podcast, we always <clears> like to say, what is the craftsmanship behind the book? Not oh, just like maybe that. the key concepts. I like that. Okay. And we'll edit out this pause and <laughs> perfect. we'll pretend Let... like we planned it. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Okay. Okay. I'll read something to follow up on what I just said about Elon and Elon Musk. Okay. Although Grant Ackett's is in a radically different industry, he and Elon Musk have a lot in common. They both invent the recipes that other people follow. But here's the catch about doing something truly original. It's sometimes messy, which makes it vulnerable to criticism, especially by incumbents. One week after the restaurant Alinea opened its doors, the New York Times published a review of the restaurant. A fellow chef referred to Ackett's and several of his peers as doing work that he considered to be child's play and nonsense upon stilts. The Times food critic said Alinea's four and a half hour... <clears throat> Sorry, Mark... <laughs> The Times food critic said Alinea's four and a half hour dining experience was exhausting and its cuisine could be pointlessly weird. Akitz's reaction was unexpected. The very first thing I do is immediately assume whoever is criticizing me is right, he told Esquire in 2015. Why? 
Nobody likes to be told that they don't do something well. I don't care who you are. If you say otherwise, then you're just flat out lying. But at the end of the day, you need to have enough confidence in yourself and in your team to look at it objectively. The act of simply considering that a fraction of criticism may be accurate will keep you learning, unlearning, fixing, tweaking, generating new ideas, and ultimately gaining respect. Very good. Thanks for sharing that passage. Of course. And listeners, to, as a reminder, my guest is Paulina Pompliano. She's the author of a great book called Hidden Genius. <laughs> Paulina may be thinking about the craftsmanship as, a, as the approach to the book. And as in context, I don't think I mentioned, it's like the profile series mm -hmm. goes back to 2017. You're writing yes. these more bite-sized article length profiles. Same kind of idea, profiling the ways people are doing business and their success stories, but obviously in a much shorter and a much uh, more pulsing kind of cadence. Mm -hmm. What were the compare and contrast for us? The approach you took as a writer uh, from writing a column to writing a book. Absolutely. So this is the thing about me is that when you're trained as a reporter, you are trained to think in very short form articles. So I never actually thought I would write something long form like a book. To me, that sounded just torturous. And it is, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> by the way. But if you don't love it, it absolutely is. Um, but if you notice, the way that I structure each chapter was I turned it into something manageable for me. So when I started writing the book, I had a newborn baby. She was three months old and I wasn't really sleeping. So I was like, this is the last thing I need to be doing right now. But I also, I knew that I needed to do something only for myself because when you're doing something for everybody else, you're, what can I do for myself? So the thing that I really enjoy is writing. So from 7 to 9 p.m. every night when she was sleeping, I was like, okay, this is my time. And in that time, I sat, I would sit down and I would write one section of one chapter for every two days, let's say. So every chapter is divided into three sections and each section is the length of an article. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's manageable for me. I can write an article every two days. So that's how it came together. It was like piece by piece, one section every two days. And those sections turn into chapters, which then turn into a book. Yes. Even at the outset of your process, I think I read on your Instagram page that you called them book notes, but it's here's the general outline of the book. Maybe that turned into the table of contents. Maybe that yeah. turned into the point by point chapter contents. But mm -hmm. what was it about that? I think of it as a creative brief. Here's the brief, what this book is going to be about. Were you able to stick to that or were you building as you went? Yeah. Okay. I think it's amazing because creativity works in such different ways. Some people, they cannot write without a very strict and rigid outline. I'm not one of those people. I can't write with an outline. I don't know why. My, my brain just doesn't work that way. Yes, because the publisher wanted a table of contents, I, I sent them what I loosely thought it could be about, even though some of those changed. In the beginning, the book was going to be separated into, instead of themes relationships and creativity, it would be into mental models. And then I was like, do people really think at mental models? I don't think so. And it felt like I was forcing myself into this thing and didn't feel natural. When I finally felt good about the outline or the, the table of contents, then I would 
take one chapter, one theme, and roughly in my brain, I was like, these are probably the three main points I want to talk about. So those would become the three sections. And then within each section, I would do exactly what I was talking about earlier, where I would throw in different um, ideas that I wanted to somehow include, but it almost felt like I pictured it as a jigsaw puzzle with the different pieces being different pieces of information that somehow need to like stick together. And I would put all these random ideas into a Google document and then I would step away because I had to, because there was this baby that was crying. Sure. So I would have to step away. And in that stepping away though, my brain did that thing in the background. And then I was like, wait a second, this person does remind me of this person. They have this thing in common that I had never thought about before. And they would come back and I would be ready to write because I did so much of the writing in my head already, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yes, indeed. And you talk about the discipline of finding your time to write, but there must have also yeah. been a, a side of resilience. It's, I, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, this is taking too long. When is this going to be over? And I can only imagine that you also discovered in your research, the creative thinkers that you were profiling had a certain resilience that uh, they had to muster up. Oh, for sure. And, and I think sometimes it's as simple as having somebody else say, keep going. I know this sucks right now, but just just keep going. I, I was just reading about Stephen King, the author Stephen King, and he said that his first novel, Carrie, to be published, he was writing it. It's about a high school girl who can move objects with her mind. And he was writing it and he got super frustrated that um, he couldn't write. He didn't feel like he could write well from uh, a female perspective. So he crumpled the paper, threw it in the trash. And then the next day, his wife was emptying the trash and she saw these papers and she started reading it. And she told him, this is good. Keep going. And in that simple, this is good. Keep going, forced them to revisit it and, and ask her. And she helped him write the, the voice better and develop the characters better. So I, I, I think it's it's almost your responsibility as a writer when you get stuck to find the smallest pieces of hope to keep going. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> find the smallest pieces of hope. And you might be asked like I am, people say, wait, your podcast is interviews with creative people. Is, is mm. that all that unique? Uh, how many other people are doing this? Uh, but then on the other hand, they'll hear this interview with you and they go, I had no idea. I've never heard of her. Yep. And isn't she great? You must have uh, come up against this. Even when you pitch the book, wait a second, we're going to have a book about creative thinkers. Uh, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? And I guess in hindsight now, what do you feel is your signature, your fingerprint on the approach that you took to the book? Absolutely. This is such a great question. And it's actually, I wish more people talked about it. I address it head on in the introduction because I'm like, I know exactly the, the what you're biggest, thinking, right? <laughs> and, and, and not what you're, yeah, what yeah. you're thinking, because the biggest criticisms that I get for my newsletter, the profile that I've been writing for so many years is, oh, you study successful people. I know all about successful people. Um, I hear the that's hero worship, that's survivorship bias. There's so many little things that these people only made it. They're the 1%. Why would you learn from them when there's so many others who didn't make it? And and my, my whole point is, so aim to fail the elevator test. 
in 30 seconds or less, if I tell you I wrote a book about successful people, I would then have to explain that I don't define success as wealth, money, or status, or whatever material possessions you have. I define success as like a life well-lived and a life that you've set out on this journey to achieve something. Let's say you've had some success in achieving it then you failed miserably, then you learned from that failure, and then you went on to achieve something again. And then you use the lessons that you've learned from your whole experience to share it with others. To me, that's success. And if you read the book, you'll find that it, it's not your traditionally successful people. There are some of them, like the Elon Musks of the world, but that's not the majority. And I think that that's the biggest like when people hear that you talk to creative people, they're like, ah, like that's just another podcast. It's no, because you define creativity probably differently than I do. So yeah. So to me, the whole genesis of the book is I frankly wrote a book that I would have wanted to read when I was 20 years old, looking to learn from some of these people who have achieved interesting things. And what you'll notice in the book is that Success doesn't exist in a vacuum. There is no one person who is successful in all of the areas of life. Al Pacino may be a legendary actor in the pit, at the pinnacle of his industry, but he's not that great with interpersonal relationships. So maybe he can learn from other people who are successful in that arena. So it's like that, that I, I say that you should, that this book aims to learn from people, not idolize them. Very it's nice. a big difference. Very nice. And I found it to be a book where I'm thinking by having this on the bookshelf, if I do get stuck, it's almost just close your eyes and open <laughs> to any page. There's a tip. There's an idea. There's a little bit of uh, WD-40 to put on your brain <laughs> there a little bit. To, like, just try this. And it sounds like a game and it sounds like forcing it. Sometimes we need something to unstick us exactly. a little bit. Yeah. And, and nice. th I think the beauty of something like this, and I think the beauty of what you do is that two different people will listen to this episode or two different people will read the book. They'll be in totally different parts of life or stages of life or in their career or in their relationship. And they'll listen or read and get an idea and see it through a totally different lens than this other person. And that's the whole goal. Like it's, if you can provide a little germ of an idea to someone that's invaluable. Mm -hmm. So good. And I was asking you, I think the the profile newsletter and uh, column continues. Anything yeah. about the book and the whole process that might have triggered or shifted or changed any way that you approach, like now the after picture continues? Yes. Okay. So one framework in the book that I've truly applied to my entire life is consistency plus time equals trust. So if you're consistent over a long period of time, you will earn people's trust. Uh, there, there is no other way because you continue to do good on the, make good on the promises that you make. So uh, I started the profile newsletter in February of 2017, and I haven't missed the Sunday since. Um, even I, I wrote a book in the middle of that and, and I kept sending it. And the reason is people will look at that and be like, oh, you're a workaholic. You need a vacation, like all, all the things. But it's actually not that. It's that I know, I respect the reader enough to know, hey, if you're going to pay me for this newsletter to receive it every week, I will make sure that you get this newsletter every week. I feel an accountability to the reader that 
if you sign up on Thursday, but then I'm on vacation on Sunday and that's your first interaction with me and you're like, I didn't even get it. What, what taste does that leave in your mouth? So I'm always hyper aware of that. And, and also um, you just plan, you know that things are going to go wrong. You know that you're going to have to fly across the world on a moment's notice, but it's having backups that you can just send as long as you continue the consistency and making good on your promises, people will forgive anything. Um, But I just think it's those like wishy-washy, I'm going to send something every Sunday, but this Sunday I won't and I need a a break and I need this. And, And I completely understand, but just have a plan where maybe you send a little something Mm -hmm. to keep people interested. Keep it alive. I Mm -hmm. I do these people who say, I'm going to do something weekly, monthly, daily, whatever it (laughs) happens to be. And after three weeks, it's like, well, this was harder than it looked. (laughs) Yeah. Consistency is hard. It's one of the hardest things because you're going to reach at first, everybody's excited. And then you reach a point where you're in the grind. You're like, oh man, this is the monotony has hit. And it's like getting through those stuck times that will really break you through. But I also think like any advice for anybody who's starting something creative, whether it's in podcasting or a newsletter or something like that, make sure you pick a cadence that's overly generous with yourself because you can always speed up, but it's harder to slow down. So I would start with monthly, even if you think you can do weekly, start with monthly. And then after you've consistently done it, do weekly. But I wouldn't start with daily for your first time and then be like, this is too much. And then have to shift back to weekly. Shift back, yeah. Because the expectations are there and then mm-hmm. for the readers. Very good. Paulina, what a great conversation. I, awesome. I know that people will know where to find books, but let's talk about your other work and how do we connect uh, with the profile and follow what you're doing there? Yeah. So basically the profile is what inspired the book. It's largely my work with the profile informed what you'll find in the book. So The weekly newsletter, The Profile, comes out every Sunday, and then I also send it on Wednesday, which is a deep dive of an individual person. And you can find that at readtheprofile.com. Very good. My guest has been Paulina Pompliano. She's the author of a new book called Hidden Genius. It's out uh, from Harriman House Publishers. Thanks so much for being on the show, Paulina. What a great conversation. We learned so much, and we get inspired by these conversations. So thank you. Thank you so much. I loved your questions. Appreciate that. And listeners, come back again. We're going to continue our around the world journey to talk to creative practitioners. We love to hear about their inspiration and the ideas behind the ideas. And we love to hear about their creative process. And most of all, as we've heard today, there's a certain uh, confidence, there's a certain resilience and discipline to developing the work for sure, but also to getting the work out into the world. And that's what we need to learn. And so I hope you'll continue to come back to our show. For now, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you next time. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliQ Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and the peace room dot love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak. Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. 
It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for the patient speak on your favorite podcast app.